Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sroden with Glenn Esterson. As always, Glenn, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic as usual and uh, just enjoying these conversations more and more with you, Jason. Thank you so much. And today we have a special guest, Tim Kelly. Tim, how are you? Outstanding. Super excited to be here to chat with you guys as always, man. This is awesome. Thank you so much. And and Tim has... um, you know, is a real estate investor on many different levels, has done a bunch of stuff, which we'll get into later in both the traditional space and the the mobile home park space. Um, and if you want to learn more about Tim, Tim, you can go to the timothykelly.com or activedutypassiveincome.com. But guys, what I would like to do is kind of just set up, Tim, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and kind of how you got into the mobile uh, home park space? Yes, absolutely. So um, I currently am still active duty. I'm in the Navy. I'm a senior enlisted uh, chief petty officer in the Navy, currently stationed in Pensacola, Florida, uh, where I'm here to, I, I came here to be a water survival instructor um, due to my rescue swimmer background and kind of help teach pilots and air crewmen how pretty much not to die if they get ejected and, and from their aircraft. Uh, and now I have the opportunity to, to, to educate our pilot students on engine systems and ethics and leadership and mindset and personal development. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing as my, my daytime thing and my side hustles all revolve around real estate. Um, investing and real estate investing education. Love everything about it. Uh, I've grown immensely as a person since I've kind of dove into this niche. And I, I, I went quickly, went straight for the multifamily asset type um, due to multiple reasons. And we can talk about that, you know, if, if you want later. And so then I got really good at it. I focused on it. And, um, and then, you know, quickly fast forward just like about a year uh, after I got into it and had a little bit of success, um, I was approached by the team and the founders of Active Duty Passive Income, uh, where now I'm a team member. I'm, I'm a part of C-Suite. I'm an owner of this amazing community, this amazing platform where we educate and bring active duty uh, reservists, vets, and their spouses together to help them understand um, how to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We have a best-selling book. Uh, right now it's free on our website. We have a podcast. We have a, a massive Facebook group that's growing every single week. And so a lot of my time is spent educating others, but we're also still actively doing deals. We have two deals under contract right now that, that we're about to close out with the same guys that uh, the same active duty passive income team that is, kind of educating and we had this education as our primary focus but we're also doing deals together to show the community how to do it um that you can do it and we'll kind of just walk them through the process so we're having a lot of fun doing that tim so first of all it it, it kind of had sorry sorry i was just gonna say it kind of adds like a nice safety net to the the guys that you're working with because you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is and and helping them learn the same steps in the process as you're going through or have been through with uh, the current active deals that you're actively sourcing. I really like that idea. That's a, that's, that's a really, really great thing you got going on there, Tim. 
Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. There are, there are a lot of great trainers out there, and some call them gurus who maybe did a couple deals, and now they're educating people on how to do it. Um, things are constantly evolving and changing and get, being updated. And it, I, I think that's, that's one of the coolest things that we do is that we, we are actively doing it. We are involved in what we're teaching. We, don't, we actually practice what we preach. Um, we do have a great amount of, of, of experience throughout the core five guys who are part of Active Duty Passive Income. Three of us are still active duty, two are vets. Uh, we all have our own real estate investing experience and knowledge, and now we're bringing it all together, and we're still doing deals. But, yeah, that's 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 uh, what also makes us special, man. So I'm, I'm glad you uh, recognize that. Well, I, I want to know, just because I know sometimes listeners will be like, I, where's this podcast? So tell us what the name of the podcast is and where they and what the book is called so that people can easily get it. Yeah, absolutely. So... Again, the platform is Active Duty Passive Income. You can just go to ActiveDutyPassiveIncome.com. Also, the podcast is just called Active Duty Passive Income. You can even type in Military Real Estate Investing. Um, that's when we hit the podcast. I mean, we we've grown a lot. We you know over the last year, we've interviewed Robert Kiyosaki, Garrett Sutton, Tom Wheelwright, Grant Cardone, Elena Cardone, Nathan Brooks, um, all like uh, some pretty high level people in the space. Um, and, and so we're, 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 and we're really excited to bring on people who are still active duty, who maybe just did their first deal. Um, cause those are, those stories that to us are just as special as interviewing people like Robert Kiyosaki. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that's our podcast. And then our book is actually a best-selling book. It's called military house hacking. Um, you can go on Amazon and get it for seven, eight bucks, or you could just go to our website and download it for free. Um, you know, a lot of the entry level concepts that we discuss are house hacking using your VA loan. One of the best benefits for military that seriously just aren't being taken advantage of enough. You know, you could buy a fourplex with your VA loan, 0% down. You could even now wrap rehab costs into that loan. Like I did and my primary residence that I'm living in right now you know, at each duty station and seriously just start catapulting your wealth. Every time you permanently change station and, and move, you could buy these multi small multifamily assets. And really while you're learning about real estate investment. So a lot of stuff we do is tailored to people using their VA loan, house hacking using their VA loan. And then we obviously have the advanced level single family investing and multifamily investing. And we have coaching and mentorship and stuff like that too. I, I, um, I mean, I yeah, love man, that you're military real estate investing is an book. I love that you're giving it away, the book away. And I also love the fact that you are really like showing people, you know, some of the behind the scenes stuff that they might not have taken advantage of that is sitting there for them to use where they can grow their wealth while serving the country, which is really cool. So thank you for doing that. I, I think that's going to be yeah, you know, very valuable to these guys and, and gals. It really is. I mean, we, we all know, and a lot of the reason how we all came to this point in our lives is that there's not enough, there's no financial education period in our society and our school system. And so in the military, it's almost even worse because you go through boot camp, you say, Hey, invest your money in the TSP, you know, which is the 401k version of, for the military and go do your mission and, and go, go to work and, 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 and follow orders. That's, that's kind of like the mindset in the military and, and that just doesn't work because once you get out of the military, um, what's, what, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? Not enough people focus on setting themselves up. And so obviously we teach some higher level multifamily investing syndication, how to put these larger deals together, but we do a lot of foundational 
basic financial foundation stuff. But we, you know, one of our best free resources is an ebook that I wrote called how to establish your financial foundation. And so you can start investing and so you can start building wealth. So we have a free VA loan mastery course, that free book. We have our free military house hacking book. We have all kinds of cool free stuff um, because that's where they got to get really their financial foundation established first before they could really start diving into the higher level investing stuff. So that makes what we love doing, what we love preaching and, and talking about, we're super passionate. That makes sense. So you mentioned something early on that sparked my interest. You said the real estate process changed you and that there was, it, it, it had such a positive effect on your life. Can you maybe tell us about, because I, I know for me, you know, I, I've never really been into real estate until I met Glenn. And then I've, I've been on this journey trying to learn about it. So what was the spark for you and why are you so passionate about it? You know, it's, I think the reason why is because when you, the more content that you listen to, audiobooks, podcasts, the more books that you read, you realize that the, the same principles that will help you be a successful real estate investor are the same principles that will help you be a success, period, just in life as a, as a family person, as a father, as a mother as a philanthropist, as a leader in whatever industry you are in, you know, obviously as a better provider, uh, as a better, um, as a better husband, wife, whatever it is, you could, we're all, we're all encouraged to just grow as a person. And I just got addicted to that. Um, the more I read about real estate, the more I read about the success, the successful people, what they did, how their behaviors, their habits, and what they do, and it was just a pattern of they are growth-minded, not just being awesome at real estate and learning, being experts in real estate and subject matter experts in whatever asset type they're going after, but having that success, growth, and abundant mindset and developing those habits that will directly apply in all facets of life. Agree. Yep. Agree. Uh, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So th this is a good a good point to pivot a little bit and, and kind of hear um, about uh, your journey into mobile home parks and see, you know, and tell us a little bit about some of the uh, issues that you've come up with that, that have come up since you've been uh, an owner in the business. And, you know, we would like to kind of tie this all in with some uh, of our last discussion about park-owned homes and, and some methods that maybe you've thought about uh, deploying on how to convert some of those homes and whether you've, you've tried yet or not, you know, we want to kind of see if we can hear your thoughts on that subject. So uh, Jason, if you don't mind uh, letting uh, Tim talk a little bit about uh, what got him into mobile homes and, and some of the challenges and successes he's had so far. I'm dying to know. Hit it, Tim. Yeah, let's, let's do it. So, um, you know, I, I was quickly drawn to multifamily investing. And, and when I first um, explored and I guess discovered real estate investing as something that I was able to do, um, I, I kind of went horizontal across all the different asset types from flipping to wholesaling to single family rentals um, to small multifamily rentals to large multifamily apartment communities and commercial and stuff like that. 
And then I kind of dove into that. I dove into multifamily, kind of stuck in the apartment community uh, niche for a year or so. And then at that, at that point, that's when cap rates were starting to squeeze uh, about two years ago or so and about one and a half, two years ago. And, and we're like, look, there, there's got to be there's, – there's, there are deals out there, but they're getting harder and harder to find. And then I just stumbled across um, the mobile home park space due to my constant personal development and wanting to learn more and networking with the right people and surrounding myself with like-hearted and like-minded people. And I'm like, mobile home parks, let's, let's, let's skip over this stigma that they have of being uh, trailer parks that are ridden with criminals and, and people who you don't want to you know, own property uh, with. And so let's dive into that. So I just educated myself on it, read a couple of books, listened to a bunch of podcasts, um, read a bunch of articles, networked with a bunch of people who did it. Um, and then we just, that's what we honed our focus on from that point forward. Um, and so I just had an interest. And I'm like, look, I, you can get, uh, you know, much higher cap rates. Uh, you can get higher returns. And there's, there's less people in this space because of the stigma. And, um, you know, there's, we can go over the whole list of advantages of, of why mobile home parks. Um, but that, that's kind of how it, it got started because we were kind of just shifting. We were looking for other ideas and then I stumbled across it and we kind of just dove in and never looked back. And I freaking, it's definitely my favorite asset type. 100%. Can you tell me a little so bit about why it's so your... great? Like what, what drew you? you... <laughs> yeah, of course. Glenn is, I'm sorry. Um, did you, did you have something to say, Glenn? Yeah, it kind of ties in with Jason's question. It was, uh, you know, because of all those advantages that you were seeing, it got you into your first park. Um, what what was that first park like? And and you know what, um, you know what was kind of reaffirmed with you about how great some of the business is, and what wasn't told to you about how hard some of the business was. Uh, you know, with your first with your first venture into mobile home parks. Oh yeah, man. There's, I mean, with, with the first venture. Um, we're actually in the process of getting it sold right now. And they, there, there's definitely more lessons learned and, and headaches and heartache during, during that process than, than, uh, than what a lot of people like talking about. So we could, we could dip into both. And, um, you know, the, some of the advantages are that a, you know, there's, there's less investor competition. I think, you know, a lot less about a year ago, um, when not as many people kind of were, were searching for other asset types uh, other than the apartment communities, but there's still a lot less investors that are investing in mobile home parks compared to other multifamily asset types. So that's, that's huge. And it's a lot of that is due to the stigma. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people think that it's only trailer parks, um, due to, due to what, how our media conveys that, that whole idea of, you know, criminals and drug activity and, and people you just wouldn't want to be deal with. Uh, but that, that's, that's simply just not the case. Um, you know, it's the most affordable type of housing. And we have a huge, everybody knows that we're in super scarcity mode and, and we have a, we're, we're in a bad time and, and we're in an affordable housing crisis, I guess you could say. And uh, okay. that is the best, right? The best solution to the affordable housing crisis is to provide the most affordable housing. And lot rents are just ridiculously low. They have been slowly going up, but they're still ridiculously low. Um, and you get your own home and, and we are able to provide clean, safe housing uh, for people who might have lower incomes and, 
and in, in lower in, income areas, which will result in better morale and, and more pride of home ownership and all that stuff. But I mean, there, there are so many other benefits, you know, especially from an economic standpoint, when you just own the ground and you have a whole part full of tenant owned homes, they are homeowners. They take better care of them. Plus just from an economic standpoint, uh, the owners, we don't have to pay for the utilities. We don't have to pay for taxes or insurance on the individual unit itself. It's just us uh, collecting lot rent, making sure that the grounds are clean and safe, the signage is nice, and and the grass is mowed or or the snow is shoveled in the in the in the you know the snowy climates. So it just makes more sense. There's there's more higher profit margin um, from what we've seen, but. I mean, the first deal that I did, like I said, it's a 27 space park, just a small kind of starter park. And we, we kind of got into it with uh, a bunch of promises that were made to us that were we were going to get a bunch of, of, of mobile homes um, from these two other parks that were being completely repositioned. And let's say total of about 200 pads. So there was about 50 nice homes that were going to get that were going to come out of those those two parks and they were going to put all brand new homes in there and completely reposition jack the lock lot run up high um so our, the promise was basically we were going to get all those homes to fill up the 27 pads um and that just simply just didn't happen um you know we didn't do uh as the, the the right amount of due diligence and we didn't walk every single unit that that we said that they were going to oh promise my. us and give to us <laughs> of course and, and then you know i think the biggest the biggest lesson learned is is that, and now it's part of our part of our due diligence process is to make contact with and introduce yourself to city hall and let them know exactly who you are, what you're doing, what your plans are before you go in there and and try to reposition the asset without them knowing. Um, you're going to need yeah, their help we, eventually. You know what I mean? And so yeah, we, they be, good. That's just to cut you off, uh, all rudely and whatnot. It's uh something we talk about a lot on here is, is getting friends with the with the city as quickly and as early into the process as you can because they can they can make your life a lot harder than uh than you want it to be and if you pro form it out all these big expectations and are banking on them uh, if you haven't discussed it with the city first <clears throat> you can often uh, learn a real hard lesson in there um and you know everything you're, you're, you're saying about you know the negatives and the, the challenges of, you know, first-timer mistakes is what, what I harp on a lot with uh, this show and, and in my book, uh, because that's the one thing people just don't seem to talk a lot about. And, you know, so many, so many otherwise good owners, you know, just make a few rookie mistakes and they just say, never again am I going to do this business because it was really, really hard. Or they lose, you know, they start going sideways or something like that. So I'm glad that didn't happen to you guys on that because uh, your your deal sounds an awful lot like my first deal, and uh, the one the the thirty something space park I had in Tennessee, um, where I forgot to talk to the municipality. I didn't walk all the park owned homes, and I didn't do all those things. And once I was knee deep into it, I started realizing, uh oh, <laughs> uh oh, I should have uh, mm-hmm. I should have known to do that, but nobody told me, and there was nothing to tell us about doing things like that. So. Um, I'm glad my, my my audience base is hearing it also from another veteran in here that is important to talk to the municipality. It is important to understand each and every one of those park-owned homes you're taking over because, uh, it, like you said, it could be 
uh, it could be a little rough that first year. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, especially for this particular deal, like in a tertiary market where it's, you know, there's a, the, the city hall will consist of your essentially your mayor, your city inspector, maybe an economic development rep, and, and maybe a few other employees that we actually haven't met yet. But the city council will make all the decisions. They're the ones that approve it. And we actually had to go in front of them and, and, and like, you know, plea our case. The main reason was because the other parks in that area were actually owned by slumlords and they were okay with that criminal activity and they were okay with having that stigma uh, be real um, in, in their parks. And we, they assumed we were just another set of slumlords coming in and we were going to allow criminal activity to happen um, so they just assumed that. And then, so the city inspector was all over us and, 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 you know, that that's probably one, because in order to move trailers in and out, you know, you need the city inspector in your back pocket. Right. And then the economic development, you need to have a good relationship with the economic development rep, whoever's in the zoning planning, economic development, know those people or that person, make you know build a relationship with them just be real with them is follow up and be genuine um because they just automatically assume we were those slumlords um yeah. that that we're going to allow you know a lot of criminal activity or whatnot and obviously they, they don't appreciate that they'd rather have the affordable housing crisis solved um in their community and that's what we were trying to do we just didn't tell them that before we bought the park so right Guys, I, I want to yeah, I want to do a slight derailment because this is something I've been thinking about for several episodes now, and then bringing up the city council and all that stuff has brought it back. But I, I know Glenn, you've said that like starting a new trailer or new mobile home park is virtually impossible. But like, I feel like if you are doing these steps and making inways inroads with the the people who are making decisions. Is it not worth fighting for the right park and the right place and build your own thing where you can kind of set it up the way that you want so that it's the most efficient? And then secondarily, through both of your experiences, is there a layout and a plan that works the best to run parks from a maintenance standpoint? From Are those things that you guys look for? I know that's very loaded and a lot. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not that it's in possible okay to get the aok to move forward on on a new development because they do happen i mean we're working on a bunch of them out in the southwest right now um but it's in the south uh it's it's very hard and the costs of redoing a, a park that has the zoning is, is sometimes very prohibitive we're doing a couple redos in in uh, macon georgia Warner Robins area of, uh, of kind of central Georgia and it's a redo. And so that they're going to have to go through new setback rules and stuff like that, but they can come out to be profitable, beautiful things that the city will get behind trying to convince the city in the beginning is sometimes hard in the last year or so. We've had a lot more acceptance of our industry, especially with the help of, um, of, uh, what's his name in Congress, uh, Ben Carson, who, for better or worse, is kind of the guy heading up the manufactured housing uh, charts right now, with along with uh, MHI, which is kind of our industry's main lobbyist and regulation and promoters of, of mobile homes in our industry. 
um, and, and great organization. They're, they're doing amazing things. And with with this last year or so of happening, we've seen more willingness to look at development of mobile home parks as a solution to the affordability to the uh, housing crisis. Um, and we'll see where that goes. But it's still very very hard to get to get these guys on board because, like Tim was saying, is he comes he comes into a new town and immediately the town's just assume you're going to be a slumlord because you're buying a slummy trailer park that you're trying to turn around and you know if you're a good old boy type of network town you know it, it maybe flies maybe it doesn't fly in, in my town the moment I took over my park which was you know it was an okay park it wasn't disgusting when I took it over but they immediately you know started harping on me just like they did with him about oh now you got to do this now you got to do that. And it becomes it becomes very restrictive and very hard to make a buck um, and operate and, and do all and, and provide a nice house and all that stuff with the limitations that are usually put upon you. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean I the, the other the other biggest thing too from like a higher level from the city is it's a huge tax revenue hit for them compared to if they built an apartment community there. Let's say like right. even like a small apartment complex. 20, 30, like 50, 60 units, how much more tax revenue they would get compared to if it was just a mobile home park where the taxes are almost nothing. And imagine the the liability that they have each, let's say each one of those units is three or four family, maybe two kids. They got to put the kids through school. The, the city's paying uh, for the schooling, but, but they're only getting a fraction of that in tax revenue. So they don't like it for that reason. And they would rather have an apartment complex there where you're paying way more taxes. So they just see it as a liability, even though it solves the affordable housing crisis, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. So existing development, they, they love when people go in there and say, Hey, look, I'm going to improve this already existing mobile home community, improve the tenant base, improve the look, improve the homes, improve the community. If they're not already zoned for a mobile home park, It'll be a lot difficult for that reason, among the other reasons that uh, that Glenn mentioned. You very just, good point. Yeah, yeah you blew my mind. Point, but <laughs> I, and, and I to, never thought of that. To answer the last half, and, and to answer the last half of, of the question, and well, to, to now get back to your comment here, you know, close your mind on. It. I mean, it's it's always follow the money, right? Like always follow the money, and, and if the town's kind of pushing against it for one reason or another, follow the money and find out why. And Tim's. Tim's answer there is probably a very legitimate and real uh, uh, reason for a lot of the small town kind of distaste for mobile home parks, even though a large portion of the population might be living in them. Um, but to, to get back to the original uh, second question you had there, um, there is an, effect, an efficient way to lay these, these things out and, and to do them. And in the Southwest, they're doing a marvelous job with just, you know, very, very efficient solutions with saw very beautiful looking parks as a final product. Um, and, you know, there's, there are mobile home guys and, and developers that have developed plenty of parks that knows the, the, the best practices, if you will, of what that looks like. But, you know, each location and, and each uh, different geography, you know, mountains and flatland, you're, you're going to have different setups. Uh, we're, we're actually looking at um, uh, bringing online a RV park that is, parceled out individually so they're kind of like uh, permanent lots that would be individually deeded and the way that this park is being built 
uh, and that's in, in, in Virginia along the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, and on that park, you know, the, the infrastructure solutions that had to come into place to fit it into the mountains along the Blue Ridge Parkway with all the environmental kind of stuff that, that would be, you know, obvious about developing next to the Blue Ridge Parkway and the Appalachian Trail all come into play. And it, it's expensive and it's consuming. But when in today's technology world with the people that are smart as they are, they've come up with some really grand solutions on these things. And, you know, maybe in time we start seeing more of the effect of, of Ben Carson allowing, you know, uh, or encouraging people to consider more mobile home parks in the city. Maybe the, the government gets involved and subsidizes it because that would be a huge boon for development for mobile home parks. And, you know, we'll see where that goes. But um, yeah, I wonder I, built officially and definitely- I, I wonder if Ben Carson owns stock in a mobile home manufacturing company. <laughs> when you're talking about following uh, them, I'm not going to speculate. I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, but what's what funny? Surprise! <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. When you said when you started saying that stuff, Tim, I was just like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, nobody's going to want to build these. Like, why would they? You got to put two kids through school. That's not cheap. You're, you know, you could you could build so even if you and if you're a poor town, I was like, "Oh well, I'll just go to a a poor town that needs housing." But like, then it's even worse for them. Because they don't have a lot of tax yep. revenue. They've got very small amounts of people. That's insane. Um, so yep. Yeah, I mean, it really yeah, depends on who's in, in, in the local office because they, they might have an investor mindset. They might understand that, look, this is really the most affordable type of housing for that, that people need. Even though it's a big tax hit, even though you can't stack mobile homes on top of each other like you could apartment units. And get you know the density of, of people and get as many people in um, to the units. But the average you know apartment complex unit is over a thousand bucks across the nation. When the average lot rent is less than three hundred, if if three hundred yes. now, it might be about three hundred now. But think about the difference in that. I mean, mom and pops are just have been afraid for years to raise rent due to fear yeah. of vacancies. But it's you know. Well, I have a few facts that is actually right on this topic. And it just goes to, to really discuss how, how bad this housing crisis is. You know, I mean, there's uh, more than 11 million Americans right now paying more than half of their salaries towards their monthly rent. That's a 30% increase over the last five years. 15 million children live in families with below income poverty, you know, with incomes below the federal poverty level. And um, there's, in order to afford a modest two-bedroom apartment just about anywhere in the United States, an, a- an average person needs to earn a wage of $20.30 per hour. In six states, you have to earn more than 25 per hour. And, you know, a, a very disappointing but obvious thing that happens with this kind of stuff is there's 50,000 veterans are homeless in the United States right now, with about 1.4 million being considered risk of being homeless. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 it's a terrible fact, you know, all these things. Uh, there's only 28 affordable housing solutions for every 100 extremely low-income households. So this is where we really fit in and where we're really relying on people like Ben Carson and organizations like MHI to be able to get kind of some more zest for our industry so we can have better development nicer looking developments, more affordable developments to come in and, and help with this crisis. And, you know, 
that's a whole probably another topic and 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 podcast we could go on and on and on and about. But um, you know, with with what we are right now, the solutions that that are in front of us with uh, looking at these deals and how we can help with with some of the affordability issues is with our parks that we're buying that do have park-owned homes, and, and hopefully you're smarter than me and Tim on our first deal and not inspect them, you know, and you actually go through and inspect these things, is really trying to look at how to convert these homes as an affordable option for your, your renter tenant and have them become a lot renter tenant, which would give them much more stability and be able to keep them um, uh, at, at the wages that they're earning, be able to actually have an affordable housing option. Um, and converting these homes is, is, is a big part of the solution right now, in my opinion. And we, we, we touched on it in the last episode. And, but, you know, we, I'm very curious to hear if Tim's gone through any conversions yet at any of his parks and, and hear what your thoughts have been on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, the, all those statistics that you just mentioned, I, if I'm not mistaken, I learned about those in your book that you wrote and I uh, just want to make sure that everybody listening to this has actually um, got his, his book. Um, it, Glenn, it's available now, right? Yeah, or sure. are you still in production? Uh, it will be available. Okay. We're hoping, hoping the end of November. It might be the first week of December, somewhere around there. It's We're in the Man. final third of the production of the book. <laughs> I never knew it took this long. to. It only took me a month to write, but it's taken six months to six <laughs> yeah 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 luckily i was able to get a sneak peek at it and a man i it's i am super excited for the release for everybody to be able to read that um you guys need to get your hands on it so if you're even remotely interested in the mobile home park space that is just an all-in-one playbook um and so yeah i just wanted to mention that and and so the converting Park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes is what a lot of investors and mobile home park owners want to do because, mentioned before, you're kind of shifting the liability, um, a lot of the uh, maintenance costs and, and, and utility costs to the tenant um, to, so they can actually pay for what they consume and what, and what they own, and they own their own home. Um, I think the best way that we found, especially in the tertiary and the kind of outer edge secondary markets, is essentially you are you either are gifting units to the tenants and promoting them like, hey, either come up with a very small down payment, maybe a thousand bucks or five hundred bucks, and you will own the own home, but you have to agree to pay the higher box. And, you know, that is a great way to increase lot rents, but have it not too unbearable for the tenants to where they then they own their own home. Maybe, you know, in the contract there could be, look, you have to make sure within the next uh, five to six months it's rent ready because they might not be rent ready homes. There's so many different ways to do it. And there's so many different, you know, every deal is so unique. And we talked about this before the show. Um, there's not one best way to do it. It all depends on the previous owner, the tenant base, who you inherited. If you're inheriting new tenants, really what kind of jobs do they have? What kind of skills do they have? Um, and, and really what their income levels are. But I think one of the best ways to do it is if you have decent homes that are rent ready, kind of on the lower end, maybe like late, uh, late 80s or early 90s models homes, where um, you, you you require like a thousand dollars as as like what I would call a down payment. They would own the home for a thousand bucks. You'd give them the title, 
and then they would essentially just pay the higher lot rent and that's 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 how we actually did it on on uh, one of our parks and it seems it seemed to work out because we're almost full and occupied that's, that's my that favorite one. way to do it too that's you know it, it, it's the simplest way if you if you're afraid of getting going through the courses and getting licensed it's a fair way to do it you know you're you're gifting a home you should still have a license but uh, from what I understand, this one in, in many places hasn't had much pushback. And the gifting of the home, while it might sound counterintuitive to, to gift a home for $1,000 to somebody um, or even just give it to them for free, which I, I've done plenty of, uh, in exchange for a better lot rent, actually saves the tenant money. It puts more capitalizable income into your uh, rent roll, which when you go and refinance out is going to come into play and you'll get a better value out of it. It removes all of the maintenance and all of the, the uh, additional things like insurance and taxes <clears throat> and really provides an excellent way to, to create permanent tenants in your park. There is, you know, you are going to go through a learning curve with it and there is going to be some tenants that turn that give it back to you. But with proper safeguards put into place, as Tim was just saying, you know, having it rent ready in six months, if it was a, you know, a handyman special type of home, uh, things like that, you know, can really protect you and give, give your tenants, you know, some protection, save them some money that, you know, you're, you might be griping about giving up, but you know, it, it, it works often. Mainly like what Tim was saying with these older homes, I would have said probably, you know, mid eighties and earlier it works probably best with, cause you, you often get them at a, at a fairly inexpensive shell value in your purchase. Um, the, the newer, the newer homes, in my opinion, if they're new, call it 2005 or newer, it, it's probably not the best model to use. You'll probably, you know, say, Glenn, you make, you cost me too much money on that one. And that's not what I'm trying to encourage. It's a solution at times with older parks that are heavy POH that that's how you would kind of convert them. If you have new expensive, nice homes, um, it's best to, to really go get licensed and then go owner finance those things um, and, and, and turn the debt over that way. But with some of the, the older parks, it, it tends to work really well. Challenge for some buyers hearing this are going to say, oh, well, uh, if I do that, I'm going to lose my cash flow. And if I'm trying to you know, flip this thing, how quick can I get out of this thing? And you can't do it in one year. Okay, you, the tenant, no, no buyer is going to pay you a premium on, on those lot rents after one year. So you got to let it season a little bit. You know, if your park's 50-50 lot renters and, and park-owned homes and your lot rent's only 250 and you're giving homes away for a new $400 lot rent or something, you know, again, it's not really going to be re received well by the uh, the buyer base that if you're trying to market it for sale. Um, but if you let it season for a couple of years, the banks will most of the time capitalize all that income. And over those couple of years, you have to start putting some pressure on your lot renters so when you do that you do it fairly you do it ethically you give them reasons why it makes sense and and you help them you know have have a, a safe environment that you're adding to the quality of their life with each rent bump but you're getting a huge bump in 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 capital capitalized income by converting those park owned homes either way hey so you have to you know go ahead well i have a question it's just a thing that comes up is like Fair is so relative. What is what does it mean to you to be fair? Is it like market value? How are you determining what's fair for them and for you? 
it's a it's a delicate balance and no two deals are going to be the same even if it's me doing it on two deals in the same town it's still not going to be the same and what i'm trying to see as my end goal with what i'm looking for either from a refinance or from a sale price on or, or even just balancing it on the the, the time value headache you know uh, uh, scale is you know what is going to be the best solution for everyone involved here and how much you know pain am I going to go through to get there? So if I have an entire park, 20, like my park was 30-something, 20, 29, 30-something pads, and it was all park-owned homes, after years of struggling to, to maintain those homes, and these were all junkers for the most part, you know, 80s and 70s and stuff, um, it made more sense for me with the headache and the work and the time I was putting into maintaining those homes to turn them over and get slightly above market, you know, rents that, that I wasn't getting quite yet. I think it, I was able to move my whopping 75 and $135 lot rents to about 200 or 225 um, and by giving a free home and letting it season for a year uh, or two. I think I had to let it season for. Um, and so to me, that felt fair. To my tenants, it felt fair because your, my, your lot rent, your, your park-owned home tenants, let's say they're paying $500 a month you know, or $400 a month, whatever the number is, and now you're giving them a total rent that's going to be less than that, they're most of the time going to agree that's fair. Now, your lot renters who are used to paying $75 are not going to feel that it's fair that you're taking them to $200, okay? So you're going to have to build in that value for them. Um, and you're going to have to let them know that that is where the park's going, but you'll work with them over three, four, five years to get them up to what that market level is. And it's a longer process, and it's meant... You know, I don't want to teach people how to, you know, just ram a rent, you know, spike down somebody's throat. Uh, you know, if you're going to do it to your lot renters who have been good to you, do it fairly and over time and, and add value to their life while you're increasing their rents. But the guys you're giving the homes to, they're going to see it as a great value right out the gate and are probably not going to say too much about paying a 350 or $400 lot rent when their park-owned home rent was maybe only $500. Um, and the market rents where they are maybe $300 for lot renters. So they'll probably be okay with it because they got a free home. That said, you got to make sure that you have a tight agreement so they don't just take the home and leave out of the park and, you know, do something silly like that. And, uh, well, you know, there's definitely caveats. To each of but yeah. Do you think it goes both ways though? Do you think that there's a lot of people maybe in the space who see that they're, these homes are going to need work soon and are like, eh, it's better if I just give it to them and let them deal with the problem. Does that happen? That's what I did at my park. That's exactly what I did at my park with, with a lot of my tenants. I said, hey, look, nobody's going to be able to rent anymore. So I, if you want to own the home, for you know, own the home uh, in an as-is condition, that's fine. Uh, some guys I made some, you know, critical repairs for. But for the most part, I'm handing you kind of a, a home that you've been living in. You know what it's like. Here's a free title and, and, and your lot rent is this and your that's what your payment is now. But with the homes that the guys left, I would just run in, in my stupid little small town. <laughs> that was, you know, 3,000 people. Uh, I, I read uh, ads in the local paper, classified ads saying handyman special, you know, $500 gets you a title kind of thing. And, um, you know, would do that essentially. And, and people would come in and improve it. And most of those tenants today, this is 10 years later now, are still there in that same park with a new well, Yeah, that's a really uh, good idea. You know, so, you know, so for me, it made sense because I, I, if I'm only making 
a few hundred, you know, hundred and two hundred dollars on top of my on top of my lot rent or on top of my proposed new lot rent, then I'm really just making nothing a year on those homes. And every every two three years when I got to turn them for a, for a rental, um, I'm, I'm losing all that money back. Yeah, into. absolutely. So for me, it made a lot of sense. And I'm not the bright guy that came up with this idea. It was my 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 85 year old property manager that came up with the idea and had seen it work at a few other parks that, uh, you know, in our area that, that he had helped with. So that's how I kind of learned about it and said, Oh, that's an interesting way. And especially at this point in this last three years of the cycle, I'm seeing it be done on, on monster scale. There's, there's a great group that bought a bunch of parks in, um, in a really poor town in North Carolina along the 95 corridor and, uh, you know, they bought thousands, it was like 1,500, you know, spaces in, in a matter of a year or so uh, with like a thousand park-owned homes. And they uh, converted all of their parks from 150 lot rents to 350 lot rents with almost no pushback. Um, and, you know, they gave the free homes and now they have beautiful communities. They dumped millions of dollars into these communities to make them look nice. And all these tenants now, two years later, are still there in those homes in a nicer looking community paying essentially what they were paying before, maybe a little bit less than they were paying before after getting the home and, and moving up the lot rents and things like that. And yeah. now, now it's a functional community. So, you know? so guys, we, we, we are almost out of time for today. So I want to touch on something that, you know, we were talking about with Tim early on and Tim, that was really why this kind of investment is really good for active duty or people who've gotten out of, out of service. Why are these investments so? Why why do you feel so good about them? So I mean, we could talk about really the specifics of mobile home communities, but just just to ensure that it's you know we we touched on the really the big why is because being in the military, there are characteristic traits, mindset traits, work ethic traits that are embedded into our DNA, especially the longer you serve, that transition very, very well into business and investing. And I'm talking about, you know, high levels of work ethic, grit, we're extremely gritty, um, you know, leadership, and just being able to work with a team, teamwork. And there's just so many great characteristic traits that we learn being in the military, especially if you've served for a while, you've gone up the chain of command, you've, you know, if you lead people and you've, you know, been all, all around the world, experienced all these different cultures, because of that, you're, you have a massive advantage in business and investing. So that, that's what I really wanted to clear up first. Um, but mobile home parks is, you know, we a, a lot of times it takes a little bit more humility than signing, you know, uh, assuming that all these investments are pa are just going to be passive. Like you could just invest a bunch of money into a park and have someone else remotely manage it and operate it for you. And then you'll be good to go. And then you'll start building massive wealth and get rich. But, you know, clearly that's not the case. We're, you're you're going to need a little bit more flexibility to go visit the park. Um, to, to understand and, 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 and like, a, it's like go approach City Hall, tell them who you are. And if you share with them that, look, we are military or we are active duty or we're vets, this is our plan, you show up, um, you know, that right there will put you at a, another massive advantage. And, you know, being able to just, uh, you know, get on site, 
um, and, and really understand that you might have to be the one personally putting in work, inspecting the grounds, walking the park, getting to know the tenants, getting to know the, whoever's going to be collecting your rent. Um, so, you know, I think just in general, being in the military and having that military experience and background will, will give you the upper hand in business and investing, but even tell mobile home parks too. Yeah, that makes complete sense. That mindset is huge. Tim, Glenn, thank you guys so much for your time today. If you want to get a hold of Tim, you can reach him at thetimothykelly.com. That's his main website. And he's also on activedutypassiveincome.com. And you can reach him at tim at activedutypassiveincome.com. And you can reach Glenn at the mobile the mhpexpert.com or or G Esterson at the mhpexpert.com. I had a complete brain fart there. There you go. <laughs> and what's your what's your phone number, uh, Glenn? Give me a call anytime. 423-483-0492. Tim, thank you very much. Glenn, thank you very much, gentlemen. It was a really great conversation today to the audience. Thank you. Keep staying tuned. Send us your questions. Hit us up on LinkedIn. Uh, leave comments, share, and do all that fun stuff. Thanks so much.